American therapist, cutting edge mental health knowledge. I am Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. I am Dr. Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from Vancouver, Canada area. Uh, and I'm Joanna Boyd, also a clinical counselor from the Vancouver area. I'm Chris Boyd, a therapist from the Vancouver area. And for first time listeners, I'm also Joanna's brother. That's right. That's right, everybody. We're here. Twas the week before Christmas. And yeah. uh, some of us are looking a little festive there. They sure are. Yes. I missed the memo. I have knitwear on, but it's like office appropriate knitwear. Okay. That's good. Chris, as. One of the founders of the Ugly Christmas Sweater. I would suppose you have a very nice repertoire there. So let's take a look at your ensemble. It's a pretty good one. It's got a little Scotty dog on here and lots of beads. Nice. Lots and lots of beads. Yeah, a nice little number here. I like it. That's awesome. Looks good. Beautiful patchwork. That's lovely. Are you, an, you. an elf, Joanna? Yes. I, I, I have a sweater that has some reindeer on it, but nothing like an ugly sweater. But I have an elf hat that jingles here, so. Cool. Yeah. I love it. Well, so, and do you get to wear, uh, like, ugly sweaters often, or is it just too warm? <laughs> In Southern California, it's pretty warm for sweaters a lot of the time. It, it gets down, I think it's down in the 40s here, which is like, what, 4 degrees, 5 degrees for you guys, something like that? That's, that's pretty chill. cool, but that's at nighttime. In the daytime, it's still a, a little bit warmer. But uh, yeah, every once in a while, we need to wear some some warmer wear. Or but, is it uh, like ugly Christmas sweater ties? Would that be what's in fashion down there? I've seen a lot of t-shirts actually that have kind of an ugly Christmas sweater theme to them, which is kind of interesting. Totally stealing the 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 idea. It's just a print t-shirt with, <laughs> with weird stuff on it. But yeah, we get a little bit of that down here. That's great. Yes. I'm dressed um, as, as Santa Claus today. Well, yes, not really. I have a Santa hat on. And that's because I get to give you guys a, a gift here, which is I'm going to do the ambush again this week. What? Do you believe it? Yes. But I had the perfect topic. Uh, we'll have to save it for another time. Double ambush. <laughs> you, you. Uh, you were generous enough to give up that perfect topic because I have one that's uh, that's kind of timely here. So the ambush, where one of us knows the question, the other three don't. Are you guys okay? You want to just dive in? Let's hear this ambush. Yeah, this is good. I've been pondering all week. What is it going to be? Okay, here's what it is. Ready? How can I manage my son's screen time? All of his homework is online. Can you just play a few hours after dinner or is that a problem? So managing screen time for kids, for teens. Do you guys have uh, some expertise yeah. in that area? Uh, mm. That is a good one. Ryan, is this, a, are you asking this question? Because this was, this was came from a, came from a <laughs> listener. I mean, it, it, it could apply to me for sure. Yes, that is certainly. That is a good question. It's a really hard one. It's hard mm. to figure out and how to manage and yeah. And, and I feel like it impacts all of us in some way, not just kids. So it kind of we all yeah. deal with this a little bit. We do. Oh wait a second! Someone just 
came on to the podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Holy Hello. cow. It's a Christmas miracle, everybody. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that is Dr. Joe Dilly, a clinical psychologist from Sierra Madre, California, in the Pasadena area, and the author of The Game is Playing Your Kid, How to Unplug and Reconnect in the Digital Age. Well, shut oh. up. No way. I shouldn't have said that, but. Welcome, you Joe. <laughs> you showed up just in time. My goodness. <laughs> is this the topic of the evening or, or the uh, maybe the year? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is yeah. certainly the topic of the year. So yeah, I just asked these guys this question, Joe. And thanks for dropping in. Thanks for having me. Welcome. Let's nice do to it. Meet you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. I feel like I know you all already because Ryan has turned me on to this podcast and I enjoy it and so appreciate what you're doing. Oh, oh wow. that's great. Thanks. Well, thank you for listening. Yeah, yes. I'm glad we could be some of your technology time. <laughs> <laughs> Right. True. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Here well, you are. Okay. So let's let's figure out what this what this talk this topic is all about, and uh, we'll go into. So someone wrote writes in and says, "How can I manage my son's screen time? All of his homework is online because everyone's doing school online down here at least. Can he just play for a few hours after dinner, or is that a problem? So we just have general screen time sorts of questions, and gosh." What a miracle that you're here to help us with these, Joe. Well, yeah. oh boy, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you my best from working on the front lines, you know, on this issue all year long in particular. But really, it's been a few years coming, you know, because even before distance learning, that was the big question. You know, a lot of Johnny's homework is online anyway. How are we possibly going to limit how much screen time he has? And uh, so that was already pressing, let alone now when everything is virtual. So um, I'd love to hear what you all think as well. But, you know, a couple of the guiding principles that I try to offer in my practice and um, that I think are consistent with good structural family therapy would be considerations like, okay, how big of an issue is it already? Because if, you know, a, t a certain student is not having a huge problem, but they're sort of wandering off of school websites and onto YouTube or something like that, well, that sounds a little bit like any functional adult. And so we may not be doing a whole lot to modify their um, homework modality. Um, compared with a student who is, you know, overusing or misusing screens already, um, then we may have to get in contact with the school and arrange some temporary accommodations. And by we, I really do mean parents, mental health professionals, other influential adults in the child's life who can say, hey, just for a little while, we need to kind of go offline here for this particular student who's battling a much bigger challenge that really all of us are facing right now. And so we need to go back to kind of paper and pencil. There are numerous ways we can do this, you know, where maybe we um, screenshot the assignment after it's completed and the parents send it in, um, or we print it out when it comes home and then they fill it out with paper and pencil, or we go to an old school word processor or what's really popular right now, Christmas item even, typewriters. And why are they popular? Because people Whoa. are loving 
you know, hey, I can actually get my work done and not be distracted. What a novel concept. Mm. Mm. So there are ways to do it. We, we want to think bigger than the symptom and not let the symptom be the answer. Sure, it kind of reminds you of uh, Brooke there who's uh, questioning whether she should go back to a flip phone versus a, uh, one of these smartphones, you know? Yeah. So yeah. just so she's not tempted to hop on social media and surf things, go down that rabbit hole. Well, it's also when you're connected, when your device is with you, I think you can't fully disconnect from it. Um, you're just always aware that you have responsibilities or things that are going to need your attention as a professional. So I can only imagine as a youth with that developing brain and seeing messages or likes or comments that they feel they must or there's a sense of urgency to respond to those. I don't think that you can really fully detach from it. So yeah, I was thinking yeah. good old fashioned flip phone for me. Good for you, Brooke. Yeah, and you're right, there, there is a sense of urgency. It's not just reward and dopamine drip and, and so forth. It's relief. We use our phones rather compulsively, don't we? You know, I need to check this, I need to verify that. Um, oh wait, I thought that they were in town and yet they're out of town according to their Instagram and they almost look like they're having a better time than I am. And so it creates tremendous anxiety and, and pressure instead of just in entertainment and joy. Well, even yeah. too, you notice that if you're hanging out with people, um, if there's a lull in conversation or you kind of whoop right to your phone, like it's not a let's just keep talking or silence is almost filled with something else versus just being silent. And maybe people think of other topics or I don't know. I noticed that it's very quick to and I'm guilty of it. Oop, pick up my phone. So. Yeah. It's so intertwined with uh, connection, right? So it's be the preferred mode of communication and connection for a lot of youth today is, uh, you know, when you use text, they, they connect through uh, Messenger, through all these different apps and whatnot. So that, that fear of disconnection or not being attached uh, to the conversation um, causes a lot of alarm uh, for these kids. Yeah. I'm curious for you, uh, Chris and Joanna, so for you guys who you guys might not know, but Chris and Joanna, they have a family cabin. And when they were just acquiring that cabin, there was a discussion of whether or not to have Wi-Fi um, so that you would truly, truly disconnect. Right. But there's also younger people in your family. I'm just curious if you noticed any shift in them when there wasn't really Wi-Fi available or if you guys make sure everyone's offline while you're there. Is there any change in their behavior or connection? Oh man, uh, that was a, yeah, that was a tough decision. I think we, we decided to do it because I know some of us want to work up there, you know, and just being able to have that uh, accessibility, but it's, uh, oh, it was only a short time, but you, de you definitely just notice that you, it's either more outside time or you more just tend to play those board games or card games. Um, you know, yeah, it's definitely, there's the younger kids are definitely on there their devices a lot more, whether it's the iPad and they might go outside a little bit, but then inside and they might be watching something, um, YouTube or playing a game. So, um, yeah. we try to be conscious about it as adults to be like, let's not be on our phones and let's spend this time together. Cause we all enjoy it when we, we do when we're purposeful on that. But yeah. for the kids, I don't think it's as easy. Yeah. It's so funny, you know, like the other night I was like, I'm walking to look at my Instagram and I swear 3.7 seconds later it was in my hand. I'm looking at Instagram I'm like, damn it. How'd that happen? Put it away. And like seconds later. So, um, I think our little nephew who is, I think he's 12, um, 13. 13, he, 
I would say is the most impacted by it because at that age he wants to be gaming with his friends and and our Wi-Fi we do have Wi-Fi and uh, but it's not the best it's very shoddy so um, for him he has a hard time it lags so you can see some of the anger the frustration when he can't uh, connect uh, with his buddies there connecting through Discord or just uh, playing the games so and also he is typically the one that wants to head home a little earlier than uh, the rest of the family. Whereas his younger siblings can get a little more in the moment and just be outside and get caught up with the fun. That's very much his age though, right? Like, especially becoming a teenager, you're very much more peer focused and you want to be able to hang out with your friends. So going away to the cabin for a week, you're missing out on stuff, right? Yeah. What about here? Yeah. I was just going to say, asking Joe that same question. I mean, when you, when you wrote your book a few years back, uh, I think, Online gaming was was a big deal already, but now it's kind of that's the only thing. It's the only game in town, right? And so right. there's there's so such a big draw, and and this is an argument that I get for my kids sometimes. Like, but this is where my friends are, especially during the pandemic. This is where my buddies are. They're all on. I don't get to go to school. I don't get to hang out at recess. Why can't I just play more games with them? What do you think about that? Right. Yeah. Well, kind of like we're doing right now, it would be pretty hypocritical of us to call across our homes to our kids and say, no, knock that off. Well, that's where my friends are. Yeah. Well, I'm working. Uh, sort of. We're, <laughs> we're, we're really socially connecting too, um, right here and now as, we, as we're on this Zoom. And so we need to be, I think, exactly as... Um, Joanna was saying a moment ago, it's about being purposeful with it, um, intentional. And so, well, what am I doing? I'm gaming with friends because I can't go out and socialize with them right now. That's much different from sort of uh, the rabbit hole effect that Chris alluded to where, you know, you're just stumbling into the, stumbling into the next video that the algorithm oh from brings up mm -hmm. for you. And oh, lo and behold, here it is. It's three in the morning. I haven't socialized with anybody. And, you know, I've watched some cool stuff and also some stuff I probably shouldn't have and so on. It's a whole different um, interaction. Mm -hmm. For sure. What are your thoughts, Joe, on just back to the, the parenting stuff here with the screens? Like, I know I know some parents who are saying, okay, we're just designating these hours to be screen hours, right? You know, between three and five, you get to have at it. Others, yeah. it's more of a uh, reward system, right? If you do yeah. all of the all of your work, then you can do this. Or if you, if this, then that, right? Right. Is there any, what are your thoughts on that as far as, uh, you know, what, what's going to be better for the kid? I tend to be more of a fan of the latter where there's a given give and take to it so that it doesn't feel arbitrary. So if we were all just kind of going by the initial... Um, I think the initial recommendation from uh, pediatric associations in the States was like, okay, two hours of screen time max. But then that was right when, you know, um, virtual assignments were becoming popular and so forth. So it was like, oh, well, wait, it's two hours plus that kind of screen time. And so all screen time is not created equal. And so what we need to look at are things like, Time spent, sure, but also content accessed. Mm -hmm. Motive for accessing content, is it escapism or is it joy or is it academic um, ambition? And then also behavior before, during, and after screen use. So if your kid comes off the screen, you know, zombied out and dysregulated, that's 
going to lead to different screen limits than um, the child who comes off pretty well uh, mm. centered is going to have. I like that. Sure. Mm -hmm. sure. So that it sounds like it's kind of a bit of, you know, you're working with it. You, you as the parent are being intentional about kind of observing this process and saying, okay, we're probably going to cut that back. Maybe two hours is a little too much. Let's try 90 minutes and see what that's like. Something like right. that. Right. Just like we would with dessert, just like we would with fire in a fireplace, you know, or I've got my outdoor heater on right now. It's perfectly contained and so it's affording warmth and so far it hasn't caught my umbrella on fire so we're in we're in good shape but you know a couple of months ago i kid you not that hillside behind me was on fire in a much different way and so we're talking about the same phenomenon in very different um contexts yeah yeah that's great yeah it's so tough too because Obviously, these um, game developers and these algorithms that you're talking about, they know what they're doing and, uh, and, and they're designed there to keep you engaged and they make more money based on that, I'm sure. But uh, it's tricky because I, I can have these conversations with clients or with parents, but um, their kids or my client's friends, sometimes their parents are, have no boundaries here at all. So there are going to be the friends who can have endless screen time right and sometimes these teenagers have a hard time wrapping their heads around that why why can't i also do that so trying to i guess have that conversation and, and try to um i guess provide the psychoeducation in terms of the benefits as well as the risks of engaging online yeah. in my opinion brilliant yeah because kids don't like the idea that they're being played any more than the parents do so when they understand Oh, you know, this company makes money when you click. Whoa, wait a second. So I'm the object? Hold on. That goes against all my agency and advocacy or, or, or autonomy, self-advocacy, that kind of yeah. thing. And we can really appeal to their appropriate desire for um, independent thought and conscious action and free will. That's good. So that's what you would focus on and emphasize on. Yeah, I, I would because it's not so different from um, back when the main challenge was something like curfew violation or can't I go to that unsupervised party. Um, yeah, there were always those parents who were like, no limits. And, you know, <laughs> and so parents who had limits had to come up with ways of explaining why they've developed them and why they're implementing them and why it's not arbitrary and why they follow them themselves. And so one of my favorites is well, let's see, I wouldn't allow you to invite the entire world into your bedroom for a party and the only cost of admission or the only um, screening tool that we use to decide whether somebody was admitted into that party was whether they liked you or something you'd posted. I, I'd be crazy. Um, so no, I'm not comfortable with you having a device that can access the entire world up in your room unsupervised. Of course, depending on the age and maturity of the child, we're not talking about a college kid here. Um, although we often are if they're not prepared for it. And then that's exactly the kind of paradigm that um, is problematic for older students too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. yeah, that's a great way to put it. As you guys are speaking about all of these pieces, um, in my mind, I'm also, I'm, I'm thinking for a lot of the people that I work with who are younger, um, 
all of these skills, I would actually have to start with the parents. I, I think that a lot of parents need the psychoeducation and the skill development around how to put their own boundaries around technology. Um, because I, I think the generation, and I don't have anything to back this up, it's all speculation, but I think the generation of parents right now for the preteens and teens are the people that uh, were kind of more college years when technology entered their lives. Before we had research on what is that technology doing to us? How is it addictive? How do I put boundaries on this? So there was like the flood of technology um, without any limits. And now we have to learn how to do that for ourselves as adults before we even teach those skills to our children. So it's, it is a family context here too. Certainly. Yeah, for sure. Very Reminds much. me, Brooke, that conversation we had about the, remember the cell face um, studies that were done a while ago and how this is probably likely happening. Yeah. Even though parents are not aware of it. The strange, strange situation when, um, you know, the, the parent disconnects from the child for two minutes and we see the distress. And, but if you were to uh, put a phone into the hands of that parent, you're completely disconnecting from the moment. And when you're around young children, those young children are then going to go into distress um, and they're not going to learn how to self-soothe because you're not there to actually coach them how to do that because mm -hmm. you're not present in that moment. So this is probably yeah. now been happening for, you know, since 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and parents are likely unaware. And exactly. uh, yeah, are engaged on their phones and the kids are learning how to maybe regulate themselves through other ways. Um, for instance, maybe engaging themselves in technology. Or, yeah. Or there's the kind of like mom, 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 mom. Yeah. And then by the time the parent pays attention, the kid yelling at them and the parent reacts to that sometimes and it's yeah. like but you're just you know it's just almost like builds off each other a little bit but you're right Brooke there is almost that you're not paying attention and there's it's, it's hard to know what's going on around you but still it's not really creating the best system of communication in your house mm -hmm. yeah the parents are probably oblivious to that right mm -hmm. I hear a lot of I don't know how old for a year who sent this in uh, this question in Ryan, how old the child is, did they say? Uh, 12. 12. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I just, I just, it's, it's hard. There's a lot of kids we work with and parents and parents feel helpless. Um, and there's just that lifeline as they say it. it's their way of connecting with friends. And so it's, you take that away, then they go into a distress mode or you feel like they're taking away their connection with people. And I, that's just such a the thing you hear all the time. Um, and it's, I don't know, especially yeah. this, this year when connection can't really be found elsewhere. And it's, you know. Definitely. The virtual time is definitely, of course, a part of most of our lives now, so. Um, yeah, absolutely. And you know, Joe, we talk a lot about how, you know, people talk about kind of just offhand about, oh, I'm so addicted to my phone, right? And I'm so addicted to this. And oh, my kid's addicted to games and all of that. Right. Um, you know, originally addiction and addiction literature is focused on chemical dependency oftentimes and, and things that are, are really hooking people in a, in a very chemical way, you know, including withdrawal and, and tolerance and that sort of thing. Um, is there, is there, can, is it, can we call uh, internet addiction or video game addiction an actual addiction? Uh, is that something that is, uh, is appropriate? 
Yeah, neurochemically speaking, we can. We're seeing some of the same circuitry uh, activated that we see in cocaine and heroin use. And then um, my understanding is that when we talk about loving our phones, it's because we're activating some of the same hormones with our phones as we do when we're in love with a person. And so we can certainly refer to, you know, our dependence as such and our, if it applies, addiction as such. When working with kids, I think one of the main considerations is, well, should we? So if we just label the kid an addict, well, okay, what do we do? Rehab, so no screens ever? What are we, what are we going to do about that? And so instead, we've really got to look back at the relationship, the context between and around child and device and manage that just like we would, again, back to all the analogies, um, junk food or sweets or curfew or sleep or, you know, it's mm -hmm. one of, of many variables in our lives that we have to manage our relationship with. Um, and so we don't need to be intimidated, but we also don't want to just kind of go, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. Yes. And, and speaking to that, that sort of addictive components, um, I've known many folks who've talked about leaving their phone at home for a work day or something like that. And just this, the, the panic that comes up and the constant checking, where, where's my phone? Where is it? You know, um, right. you know, there's, there's, there's withdrawal. That was on one of your earlier episodes. One of yeah. you, um, I think left and your roommate freaked out about, yeah, yeah. Brooke, you left your phone at home and they couldn't reach you. <laughs> thought something they, they seriously thought something so bad happened because my phone was at home and I just, well, I'll just leave it there. I really don't mind. But yeah, she was freaking out. She was going to call the phone. <laughs> I was like abducted or something. I'm like, no, I just left my phone at home. Right. Everybody, we've, we found our listener. Joe's our listener. He's listened to our <laughs> podcast. Yes. <laughs> See you other listeners. If you listen enough, you can be on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. As we're talking about this as well, something else comes up for me. I've noticed a trend and we don't have to get into it, but I'll just, uh, I would just like to mention it as we're talking about technology. In the past few months, um, there's been more coming in into my counseling room about pornography addiction as well, as we're talking of technology and access and all of these different things. And that's probably for another podcast, but uh, yeah, thought I'd point it out. You bet. Oh, sure. Huge problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, a huge problem. We can, I mean, yeah, maybe it is more more for another podcast, but um, but the, the one thing that, that strikes me is 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 people saying that, you know, when when a lot of folks were growing up to look for pornography, they would have to look for pornography. You know, they would have to go out and find it somewhere, a magazine or or even on a website. And now now it finds you, right? You, you mm. type in some benign search into the into the internet, and you're bound to have something, you know, hook up there that's not supposed to be there, and that's uh, yeah, it's it's pretty insidious, isn't it? Yeah, it's part of a concern of what parents are afraid of their kids are going to come across, right? right? As it's just video to video or ads that come up, if you're not able to really know what your child's doing, sometimes they might click on those things, right? So yes. Yeah, I think that's one thing that is is a little intimidating as a parent myself, and I know I've spoken with others as well. The whole idea of monitoring your kids 
uh, internet usage and whether it's putting on filters or finding different ways to uh, um, to kind of curb their their curiosity in some ways, just to kind of protect them really from areas that may not be healthy for them. Um, Joe, do you have any thoughts on what what a parent could do when it comes to that sort of thing? Yeah. So okay. So I think a lot of parents feel um, understandably kind of apprehensive about old school monitoring, you know, peeking in, checking on their kids, sitting next to them as they're doing distance learning. But if that's what's required, that's always a fallback, just like you would if they were, you know, um, insisting that they close the door with their boyfriend or girlfriend and, you know, don't bother mm -hmm. us for a while. Eh, no, <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't think so. And so if we need it, we can go old school, but then we can also use kind of a homeopathic approach where we use the, a little bit of the um, symptom as the cure, meaning we can implement screen tracking on the entire family's devices to monitor, you know, time, content, um, time access, but also time of day that it's being accessed. And that way we can get a, a good composite about, you know, I think I'm um, using my phone too much before bed and then the blue light inhibits melatonin. And so I, even once I turn the phone off, I'm getting to bed later. And so, you know, it's it, what's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? So we can all be using this kind of thing to determine, or these kinds of measures to determine, um, you know, how often we're using, what we're accessing and so forth. Yeah. I actually had a session today and parents and a teenage girl and talking uh, about uh, how the um, Christmas break is going to go. And uh, the mom brought up the whole idea of having no screen time or having days allocated where there's no screens at all. So right now the Sunday is a no screen day and she wanted to add another day. And both the dad and the daughter were like, what? The second day? But the way the family approaches it is they're all in it together. So kind of you know, highlighting what you're saying there. And the really cool thing happens though, is when the dad and the daughter both have no screen time, they actually do things together. So they go out for bike rides or walks and, and play games together, right? So right. I, I like that all for one, one for all approach when it comes to screen time. Not the, you're the teenager, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Huge. So important. Yeah, yeah. our children will definitely copy what we do more than what we say. Yeah. You have to lead by example, right? Right. Yeah. So true. So true. You know, um, it's funny. Um, screen time pulp culture has paid dividends in terms of my therapeutic work, and it's been amazing for building a rapport with with clients. So, have a you know, kids come in, they say they play Minecraft, for instance, and I decided to to check out that game. And uh, to be honest, I still play it probably a couple of times a week because it's kind of fun. It's relaxing. Yeah. But if you speak the lingo a bit, you know, um, and understand what they're interested in, then it can create a lot of dialogue. And you start to see, first off, what um, they're curious about, as well as there's a lot of patience and persistence and teamwork that goes into uh, various games. So you can start to, um, you know, maybe highlight those attributes and, and, and try to focus them on other aspects of their lives. So it can lead to some great conversation versus pathologizing it and saying, oh, if it's a game, I don't want to hear about it, you know, instead of vilifying 
screen time in games. I think that can work against parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Chris, I think that also uh, wraps around to what Joe was saying earlier about um, the setting the intention or it being purposeful. So if your child's playing a game and then the purpose is I want to learn more about my child. Um, yeah, I think it kind of all circles back there a bit. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're not talking about an abstinence model completely here, are we, Joe? I mean, we you kind of recognize that people, that, that game screens are going to be a part of people's lives, especially the, the younger generations. And it's more about learning to moderate and find a healthy way to do that than just saying no all the time, right? Right, right. Yep. It's pretty critical. I, I don't think it's uh, realistic for very many, if any of us, to just go, yeah, we're, we're screen free completely. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's going to be a tough road. So I got I to gotta tell a little side story here. Uh, if you guys didn't know, Joe and I have been friends for a while. And uh, we've been friends and colleagues for, for several years now. And, and I, I was able to read uh, the, uh, the Game is Playing Your Kid um, before it came out even. And I uh, really loved it back then. It's been several years now. Um, but I remember after that, uh, I, I looked up and I was in a restaurant one time and I was with my kids and my wife and my kids, we were waiting for the food and my kids had their, had my phone and they were playing a video game on my phone. And I looked over and I saw Joe sitting at another table uh, across the restaurant. And I was like, Oh crap. You know, what's he going to think if he sees me and my kids <laughs> playing, playing on my phone. And I looked over and his kids were playing on his phone too. <laughs> I walked over and said hi. We talked for a minute. And he's like, "Yeah, man, you gotta, you gotta let it happen sometimes, you know." Yeah. Gotta let it happen, and you gotta. Um, it's all about the timing, right? So if that's in the middle of the meal when they haven't eaten, no way. Right. But if it's hey, you've done a nice job comporting yourself and participating as a family. Sure, do that while we're waiting for the check. Your mother and I will actually, you know, have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I like I like that about a lot of your your advice here and the way that you phrase things, Joe. It, you you put it in a way so it's it's not like we're recreating the wheel here. We're not, you know, these are technology is a is a new medium, you know, newish medium for a lot of people. But the same old parenting rules will apply. You know, you you don't just let the kid let the whole world into their bedroom. You don't let them, you know, hang out with their girlfriend with the door closed. I mean, there's things that you do that you have to, to just be aware of, but it's all kind of just the same application of, of old uh, principles, isn't it? It really is. And, and so when people say, wow, this is novel, I'm kind of like, no, it's really not. And I didn't invent it. This is good, you know, uh, Phil Philadelphia child guidance and uh, mm -hmm. Salvador Mnuchin, stuff and you know use a lot of solutions focused therapy from Insu Kimberg where you're saying okay how big of a problem is this right now on a scale of one to ten okay it's an eight wow that's that's up there uh, ten being the worst and so what would it look like if it were a seven and a half hmm. well he would at least be able to get dressed and out the door for school or, or dressed and on to virtual school these days without a, a battle. Okay, cool. Well, let's start there. And then once we're down to that seven and a half, we ratchet down to a seven and so on. Yes. And speaking of ratcheting, Joe, the, since, since our kids around here at least have been 
online for school for, you know, four or five, six hours a day. Um, and they will have done this. I mean, probably it'll be a, a complete school year that they'll have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think there's going to be a challenge with the ratcheting down from that point? Like, okay, kids, you know, school's open again, go back into the classroom and then come home and, you know, do something else other than playing video games. Is there going to be a withdrawal, you know, component to that? Or what do you think? Possibly after school, but here's what we're seeing, like at, at my children's school, um, when students with accommodations were able to go back for standardized tests last week. Mm. And so, you know, a, a small uh, percentage of the student body was able to go to school to take a test. And my understanding from the head of school is they got out of their cars and cheered to be on campus to take a test. Wow. Um, yeah, so I think the mm-hmm. withdrawal might be seen, yeah, when they're back at home, but not when it's time to go be in real time, in real space with one another, because that's how we're wired. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's I, a wonderful mm-hmm. thing. I hear that from teens as well, who are able to go to school right now, back in person. They prefer to be back in person. Like even my 13 year old nephew, he's like, I might not like school, but I want to go see my friends, you know? And I think it's yeah. an in-person connection. So it's not like, oh, I wish I was able to be on my computer on a screen with like them during school. I don't think they're going to miss that. But right. yeah. I'd maybe, yes. no, go ahead. yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it? I've, I've heard the same from, uh, from the kids or clients as well is that they had so much screen time in the, in the spring and into the summer that they really wanted to do other things. It was kind of, uh, they were flooded with extra time because parents didn't really know what to do or maybe they, because it was um, for school as well as entertainment and connection that um, they actually want to go outside more. And so that's kind of neat, um, neat thing to see. Yeah, I do think that I agree. I've seen that in some of my clients as well. They're just getting fatigued. Like mm-hmm. teenage clients, I had one uh, female teenage client and she was saying that she felt like she just needed a vacation, but she needed a vacation because she didn't want Wi-Fi around. She mm. felt like been too much like Wi-Fi and online and virtual in her life. And so um, I proposed to her, I was like, well, why don't we delete some of your social media apps for a day or two or three? And she did. And she had a, she had a great time. She really enjoyed it. And I think she'll probably do it again. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, so I think our teens want it. I think they want to be back face-to-face. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I had Uh, a teenager on um, Monday night this week uh, say, you know what, my parents really had to put the limits on. And for the first day, man, I was following them around. And they were like, yes, he was. And But mom and dad held the line. And he goes, now, I don't know, it's kind of weird. I kind of like it. I'm coming up with other stuff to do. And now there may, may be a manipulative component there. And I give the parents that heads up too. Um, but in the meantime, in as much as that's true for him, I think he's kind of rediscovering what all of us have known, you know, since we're old enough to remember it being different. That, you know, this, I, I love that we're connecting with folks from, Canada, but it's really no match for being in the same shared space together. Mm-hmm. And so what's encouraging maybe then, Joe, from what I'm hearing from you is that if parents who have kids who are on the screens a lot, if they start to make changes, 
they're going to receive maybe some kickback though. Like they might go through a bit of the tough stuff while their kid adjusts to the changes, but right. you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel or there could be a lot of, it's worth kind of putting up with that kid following you around or bugging you. Cause um, you know that you're doing this for the, the better. I yes. Very much so. I've, there's been a lot of talk this year about how, about the benefits of boredom, right? About the idea that allowing someone to be bored for a while is actually a great fertilizer for wonderful ideas and wonderful creations and all of that. Like let that, let that boredom happen and see what, see what sprouts, you know? And I've seen that with my kids quite a bit. Um, and just saying, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing any screens for, for today. And we come up with games. We come up with drawings. We come up with all these different little uh, exercises that we're doing that are, that's really a lot of fun and memorable, you know? And that's, that's another piece of this. So much more memorable than that day of just sitting in front of the, the screen all day. There's no real joy or memory from that, you know? Yeah. No, Ron, I, I commend you on your creativity as a parent as well you know, coming up with all those games. And I, I think you had a lot of fun there with the kids and they really embraced that, right? All the, the challenges and we did. Um, that you set up there. Joe, this, this summer we, we did something called, uh, I called it Amish hours, right? Just, just, <laughs> just meaning these are just big chunks of the, because it was summertime, the kids weren't in school and it was uh, basically the whole school day of, of, of time where they didn't, didn't have any access to, to electronics. And so, um, so we had a bunch of little tasks, like something creative, something exercise, you know, something to, uh, to clean up a bit in the house. Um, like the Amish would without uh, the use of electricity. Right. Right. And the kids actually really liked it. They kind of looked forward. What's, what's for today's Amish hours. <laughs> they had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's organic requires something of us. Um, if necessity is the mother of invention, then yeah, we're, we're going to get creative when, when we need to be mm -hmm. creative yeah. and if we don't need to be. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. Hey Ryan, I remember years ago you talked about how you would have video game day would be Saturdays and you guys had, what is that correct? Oh. And you'd have us, you'd, you'd go play with the boys and it would be yeah. a special time once a week, I think. Yep. Um, so you kind of had that and it was pretty, you had your boundaries. How did you learn or how did you see your shift from that to what happens now with the boys and, you know, what mm. kind of influenced your decisions as a parent of how to figure out giving them the time with the screens during the week or? Yeah, yeah. that's a good question. Uh, yeah, that time the kids were a bit younger and it was funny because we had a, a, a basement in my house that was really tiny uh probably eight feet by eight feet it just had barely any space in there at all it had this little uh like 20 inch screen little tv and and an old playstation that i had like a playstation first generation playstation so <laughs> we would and saturday was kind of great we're gonna go and we're gonna play that and then the me and my boys would go downstairs into this little dungeonous uh basement and we'd play and then the door would be closed and that was it for the rest of the week because we just never went downstairs other than that um and uh so they they've grown we moved from that place there's no more basement any longer but uh it's it's changed changed to more of the uh the the kind of token economy thing that, uh, that we were talking about before it's like okay if you get some you know if you kind of do your work for the day you get your chores done and you get uh 
you know, have some decent behavior during, uh, during dinner, then we can play for a while. And that's, that's sort of what it's evolved to at this point. And, and yes, I, I get all of the questions about, you know, well, my friends and this is my social time. And, you know, if schools require me to be on, on screens all day, why can't I play, you know, and I just see that as, it's limit testing. I mean, they're just, they're just protesting. That's their job is to push the limits. It's my job to hold the limits as a parent. So we just play that game a little bit and, uh, and they get to play their games uh, when they kind of have earned it, you know? That's awesome. We found, yeah, we found something that really worked for you. So that's good. Seems to work. And, and I try to play video games with my kids once in a while and I'm, I'm shocked at how much better they are than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was pretty good. I'm really not that good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think uh, Joanna and I can still beat our uh, nephews at Mario Kart. That's all we them. got. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> Mario Kart. Otherwise, if I played anything that my nephew plays, he would just slay me. So yeah. <laughs> I need to make myself feel better by being like, how about Mario Kart? Then, yeah. then we'll see. <laughs> there we go. So guys, we got we to gotta bring this to a close. Joe, being a bit of a Santa himself, has decided to gift our listeners with a, uh, a special code that will help them uh, access his book, The Game is Playing Your Kid, for, for cheap. Right, Joe? Yeah, so you can always get, you know, ebook or paperback on Amazon, um, but you can also go directly to the publisher by going to my uh, website, which is don'tgetplayed.com. And then if you click on redeem your coupon code, appropriately for this podcast, your coupon code is lace up. And that will, no spaces or anything, all caps. And that'll save you um, 20% or something. And um, yeah, check it out. See if it's a, a good augment to your practice. I, I actually had a young man in the waiting room when it first came out, flipping through the, the copy at our office. Um, and he held it up and announced to his mom, mom, you need to read this because it's fair. And that's exactly wow. what this approach is supposed to do. It's supposed to nice. be fair to parent and kid. That's the best yeah. testimonial ever. Holy <laughs> smoke. Yeah. That's awesome. Really is. That really is. Did you uh, do an audio book as well, Joe? You know, I've recorded it, but I have not. Uh, had it edited and you know finalized so um, it's in the works you could say but that's been a long time coming so yeah uh, did you record it Joe yeah I did I did I love it I'd love oh, to hear yeah. your voice I want you to read to me for 11 <laughs> hours that'd be awesome well, thinking the you, same you know you've been you uh, mentioned our friendship and I have to brag on Ryan for a minute and then you know you can post-production edit this out if you don't want it but we're sitting down for lunch a few years ago and Ryan goes, you know, there should be a, uh, there should be a day for our profession. We've got, you know, this day and that day, there should be a national psychotherapy day. And I go, well, yeah, totally. Of course. What a great idea. And yeah, I'm thinking in my head, well, that'll never happen. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say six weeks goes by and our local psych association gets this wonderful announcement from Ryan that says, hey, just announcing um, if anybody wants to be a part of our volunteer effort to coordinate the first ever National Psychotherapy Day. I still don't know how he orchestrated <laughs> a day 
but it's in the official you know what is that like the book the, of days yes there's a but yes there's an official book that has all the uh the official days in there we're in that that's great yeah so that's awesome uh, <laughs> ironically enough not to i'm kind of stealing the spotlight here from you ryan but tomorrow up here in dc is ugly christmas sweater day <laughs> and created by chris great created by Christopher here. So we have a lot of days, people who wow. in this group. We make oh, a lot of days. Yes, that's great. I see a connection. <laughs> what what brings be. you in? Oh, <laughs> my wife was wearing the ugliest Christmas sweater. <laughs> that's great. Look, awesome. Joe, uh, we thank you so much for bringing your, your expertise and your humor and your, your wisdom to us today. Thank you so much for that. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you for joining us. What a Wonderful treat. podcast. Keep yeah. it up. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. We will keep it up. Thank you for being also, Joe. You made it. Maybe you knew this. Maybe I told you this. You're our first guest ever. So, number you one. This. I'm super honored. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. Well, we will sign off for now. Uh, so, that's it. So, if you have. An inclination, like and subscribe on Apple, Google, Podbean, Audible, or YouTube. Send your questions to info at mentalhealthbootcamp.com. Visit us on Facebook or Instagram. Tell a friend. Visit Joe's uh, book. Get Joe's book at don'tgetplayed.com. This is Joe Dilly from Los Angeles, California, Sierra Madre, to be specific. And uh, that's it, everybody. Merry Christmas and good night. Merry Christmas. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.